Thank you for tuning into this episode of Movie Geeks United. On this episode, we're pleased to be joined once again by one of our most beloved guests, critic Tony Macklin. In this conversation, we discuss the principles of meaningful criticism in the modern age. You can read all of Tony's reviews at his website at TonyMacklin.net. When you are admiring of a critic or read their work, what's the first thing you're, you're looking for from them? Uh, humanity, um, values, the, the sense and an independent mind. I, I said it to you before that Dwight McDonald said that the reviewer tells what the audience thinks and a critic tells what he or she thinks. And I believe in that. And I, I'm interested in where that person will take me. In fact, I hope that the re, the reviewer slash critic will be the, the, the best teacher at the cinema, the university of cinema that there is, because I want to understand and I want, I want it to be like a really vivid, energetic, original, exploratory class on, on the film. And I want to learn from, a, from the critic and I want to be able to know that, that I can trust the intelligence and the independence of him or her. And it does, it does have a foundation as well in appreciating the, the written word, the turn of phrase, the, the ability of a writer to, to crystallize an idea. In a sense, they are social critics. They are writing about the human condition, and they are articulating a, a personal vision that really reverberates um, through, their, through their word choice. My, my sense is times change, but the values change. They shouldn't, but I'm, I'm afraid that they do. Um, but CNN has just had a couple of weeks special on movies, and it's well done. It's, uh, Hanks was one of the uh, supporters. What it, it did, and it's the first time, I'm, I'm, I know I'm getting old, because it's the first time that I heard them turn on the films of the 70s. They had Spielberg and different people almost disparaging the films of the 70s, which has always, in my mind, been the golden age, that it was the great era of motion pictures. And this this series started with the fil- films of the 80s and almost said that the films of the 70s were, were the past and, and not significant. And I thought, my God, the, the Godfather Part 1 and 2, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, the Chinatown, which I love, uh, even Star Wars, Clockwork Orange, Taxi Driver, Annie Hall. We forget that things that should be remembered. I mean, if you go down the street, I ask everybody that's listening to us, the, the two of them, uh, both of them, to go down the street and say, Gary Cooper, who is Gary Cooper? The chances of the person knowing who Gar- Gary Cooper is are very, very slight. Or Ingrid Bergman. Mention Ingrid Bergman, who I think is my, my favorite actress, maybe the, the, the best 
certainly one of the best actresses of all time. And they don't know it. And forget about Alan Ladd and Van Heflin and whoever else it may, may be, Thelma Ritter, that the people don't know that. And also, maybe that's every generation. Maybe the past is simply forgotten or or put out of the way. Because we can see in modern days, the Western, in a sense, ended in, 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 in was it, yeah, 1992, with Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, where the character had killed women and children, and it was a, a, a an end to a tradition that he he lived, he survived, he endured. It was a brutal uh, ending, but that has been replaced. Nobody watches westerns anymore. I mean, I guess if if they're going to forget Duke Wayne. John Wayne is going to forget, be forgotten. They don't even remember John Wayne Bobbitt. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, you know, but I, I, in terms of that, regarding that CNN series, <clears throat> I mean, I, I like their series. I like their decade series. But in a way that uh, feels like nostalgic fluff, like I, I, you'll watch a marathon of it late at night and, and get, get your kicks, your warm fuzzies. But I did not expect the series to be uh, an exercise in scholarship. Uh, just kind of an exercise in trivia. And I, I find that a lot of uh, modern-day uh, film critics uh, do not view the Enterprise as, as a work of scholarship, as a time to reflect on what came before and how it informs the present. Context. Um, yes. When I write my reviews, I try to appeal, first of all, to its target audience, and and say, do I think it delivered for them? And then should it have? Or what did I think about the the whole the whole project and the whole vision? So I take the first step, a little step, and then I and then I take the leap into trying to recognize the intelligence and the great the great film artists are extremely intelligent. They may, their intelligence may be, a lot of it may be intuitive, but there is a sense of um, understanding. And we as critics are explaining, we're trying to understand it as the filmmaker wants it to be understood. And also, since he has opened it to us, as we personally understand it, we may see something in it that is viable or valid, yes. even though he didn't intend it. And the artist would probably say, good for you. You took it somewhere I didn't even expect. And it, that enriches the whole process. The other thing is that, that criticism and thought and language are now considered elitist. Maybe they always were. An elitist being a pejorative term, a negative term. Um, no, <laughs> elitism means you are elite among the basketball players. You are elite among the baseball players. You are elite among the golfers. You are elite among the actors. You are elite among the writers. You are elite among the, the film directors. And, and the critic also should be elite because he should take it further than the average reader. 
a good critic understands a film as it is meant to be understood, and he understands a film as perhaps the prospective audience should understand it. Yeah. The one, the main thing that I look for when I read a critic's work is is a a clearly articulated point of view. I think there's a reason why critics uh, like Pauline Kael did not write an autobiography because they already did it in the reviews. Uh, I mean, you get a sense of them how they view the world by reading the totality of their the criticism. I think. But they also, and I'm always, I'm always a little bit hesitant to make this assessment, but the films were more challenging. There was more to ferret out. Now, we, we live in a modern time, which is opening up different issues and, and really penetrating them and thinking at them deeply. But my God, how many great films have you seen this year? None. How many good films have you seen? Very, very few. How many popular films? Okay, there are some popular films. But, but Spielberg's next, prob, uh, next project that we're supposed to expect next December, December 2020, is a remake of West Side Story. I mean, come on, Stephen. Is that the best you can do? Uh, Baby Driver is in it, too, by the way, the guy that played Baby Driver. Now, he's yeah. got to be as good as Richard Boehmer was in the original. So that, that's he's, he's what it has a, going for he's it. He's actually a great, he's a great singer. I heard his singing voice. He's, he, he, he's, he's a very good, impressive singer. And I, yeah. I give Spielberg the benefit of the doubt. I've long wanted him to direct a musical just based upon his ability to stage for the camera. I thought, man, a musical would be a very exciting genre for him to work in. And I think maybe he could say something about the immigrant experience that is relevant to today, even though it's going to be a period piece. I can hear over, I can hear over the phone your excitement. <laughs> well, it's not top of my to-do list. Can you hear mine? What's in there? Okay, well, let you, me you, talk you, to you a little bit about... Go ahead. Let me talk to you a little bit about this point. Um, we're living in an age now where not only do uh, do people not know their history, they're perfectly willing to have it erased. Uh, what is it, Lillian Kish removing her name off a building because of her involvement in Birth of a Nation? Uh, there's there's several examples of this where our modern day values lead us to. That's discard. not a value, Jamie. That's not a value. That is a a a pretentious, self serving. Um, I am more important than Lillian Gish. I am important because I stand up. I am so tired of ignorance and so tired of weakness in this culture. I've said to you before that the the Nathaniel Hawthorne had one of his characters in the short story say, evil is the nature of mankind. No, hypocrisy is the nature of mankind. And you see these politics, power is the principle. There is no principle. 
anybody gets in power absolutely reverses their opinion let's balance the budget let's balance the, oh we're in we're in charge oh let's not worry about that it's not relevant anymore and how many people who are of a religion today if they were born in Greece antiquity would they believe in mercury and zeus and whatever it was they would because they are they are of the time and of their place it's so hard to put things into perspective and understand um the past yes there dw griffith was that part of his film is racist when when Spike Lee made a black Klansman. He attacked the uh, birth of a nation. At NYU, the first film they showed him was Griffith's Birth of a Nation. And the professors and the faculty all raved about the film as as he was the father of cinema. The Griffith was the father of cinema. Well, obviously, Spike Lee said, well, he wasn't my father. The, the, the professors that he had did not understand the social values or did not care about the social values that, in a sense, part of the film was um, uh, celebrated the Ku Klux Klan. But one of the great liberals, uh, one of the probably the the one that stands tallest for me is James Agee, the, the the critic, and he did a beautiful expression of the values and the technical and the 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 originality of that film. Now he recognized that racially it was wrong; that part of it was wrong. And what happens so often today is that that trans, transcends everything. It over, it's not human to not understand a person in his or her time and place. It's not to excuse it, but it's to understand it and not immediately rebuff it. Is there a movie uh, that you've uh, reevaluated and, and done a 180 on? No, I think I think it's been more than when I saw Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, I didn't realize how much of a work of art it was, and I, over the years, I think it may be the best western ever made. Sergio Leone's western with Henry Fonda and uh, Claudia Cardinal and um, um, Jason Robards Jr. and Bronson. Um, that one has 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 grown. Um, I told you that in that I initially sent the list of my best ten ever made <laughs> to, to publish early when I when I still had a reputation of, uh, of in in sight and sound. And I sent you the list, and we, let me just go, go down the list. At one point, I, I considered these the best films ever made. Now, obviously, 
I was young and fickle. These are alphabetical. I've, I've talked a little about, I had birth of a nation on my list. Now, I would never put it on my list today just because of the the changing attitudes at the time. Um, I think it's still a great motion picture. Is it the film's significance in terms of representing a leap in narrative filmmaking and in, in the, the language of film more than the content of the film? No, it's the content too. I think every remember it's not a whole a whole celebration of the Ku Klux Klan. It's not uh, that that scene where they ride into the like the like the cavalry rides in. We're used to the cavalry coming in and killing all the Indians, and then nobody questions that except the Indians. Uh, so no, the 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 total thing is is I just wouldn't take that step because today but at the time everybody in almost everybody in film like that, that when spike was in class they were calling griffith the father of film of, of film and right. that you know it, it wasn't just it was i mean this is an epic motion picture this is a this is a, a it has scope, it has grandeur, it has character, it has humanity, it also has racism. And so yeah. do you throw it's like it's like Lenny Riefenstahl's film. Right. right. And the other the other thing I was thinking about this the other night, do you always when you make a film about Hitler, do you always have to say, Oh, he was a bad guy? Or do you just do you just show yeah. it? You're right. And do you, right. do you, any any kind of oh, um, in uh, Silence of the Lambs, he was really <laughs> he was lethal. He was he was a murderer. Well, then I I better not watch the film. But of course, I'm an American, so I love violence. You know, there's a movie called The Assassination of Richard Nixon, starring Champagne, that I've always loved. Because the protagonist is the antagonist. Uh, he is a, uh, a domestic terrorist who tries to hijack a plane. To, uh, and this was released right on the heels of 9-11. And I thought, what an incredibly ballsy movie. And I'm sitting here at the movie and I'm crying because <clears throat> I understand the man's desperation. Um and as abhorrent as his actions are, I understand where they come from. And isn't that something beautiful that that cinema can give us? Well, here, here, here you've made a terrific point. Here, the 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 greatest manipulator, I think, of all time in film is Hitchcock. I mean, Hitchcock was wonderful at getting you. The simple, you want him to get to get the flight, the lighter and stranger, strangers on a train when he's trying to reach through the 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 sewer and get the the lighter through the through the the the, the barrier that he's dropped. I mean, you're for, when the when the car is sinking and then stops uh, in in Psycho. You're rooting for the car to sink. Well, why, 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 why right. should I be rooting for the car to sink when it's bad? But the point that you made—that you got on the wavelength of that film, 
as most people didn't because they had preconceptions, because they had, and, and this idea that we go to a movie objectively is ridiculous. If we have a brain, we, we, we go with it pre, right. with preconceptions. Right. We may not have heard of it before. We may, may, may go into that situation. But I remember seeing Goldie Hawn, and I always called her in my reviews the, the constipated ostrich, um, which is not a particular, that's kind of an odd hominem remark. And then I saw her in a film where she played opposite the, the, blonde bo- the blind boy. Oh, I forget what the name of it was. But I was willing... Butterflies are free. Butterflies are free. Um, but I was willing to change my mind, to, to, to ooh, ooh, there's, a, there's something I've never seen in her before. Um, yeah. And that's what... That's that's what you look for. One of I again I repeat myself, but I don't mind that. Um, Paul Newman, one of the greatest performances he ever gave was Robert Altman's Buffalo Bill and the Indians. Now it's an anti Buffalo Bill film. It's an anti Paul Newman's image film. He's not the blue-eyed boy. Well, he's 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 like the Cummings boy, uh, blue-eyed boy. How do you like your blue-eyed boy, Mister Death? Said Cummings, and but nobody went to it. If you had gone to it and accepted Altman's invitation and tried to understand it as it is understood, and accepted Paul Newman's risk-taking, it was. It was an extraordinary performance, and most people didn't go. The few that went probably didn't like it because it wasn't their blue-eyed boy that they had come to love. It was a, a mockery of that that image, and that's what a critic does too. He he tries to get beyond the commonplace, the cliched, the trite the conventional viewpoint and hold on to the mantle of, of that the artist is offering him. And it doesn't mean, it does not mean that I only like artistic films. I love, I, lo- I love entertaining films. Um, some of the, some of my favorite films, I'm not sure they're work. I'm, I'm sure they aren't work of art whatever entertainment it, it, it might be, whatever the entertainment might be. Uh, about a Boy is one of my, I love About a Boy. I love the film with Hugh Grant and uh, Nicholas Holt. It's not a, it's not a work of art, I don't think, but it's a, it's an extraordinary, beautiful, wonderful human statement and, and entertaining film. It's, it's just delightful. Um, and, and there are a lot of, of films like that. Everyone in my life, they dismiss my views on movies because they they don't believe I can I can recognize the simple pleasures in movies. Oh, that's I, ridiculous! That I think about the, that I think about them too much. So uh, my, my my point in saying that is that you have to when you look when I look at a movie, I have to consider what is it about, which transcends the plot, because the plot is usually an engine to express what it's really about and how is it about it? And 
if a movie is well executed, it doesn't really have to have a deeper resonance for me to appreciate it on some terms. It's just that I, I, I personally feel much more fulfilled watching something that's, that, that's trying to express an idea uh, and does it in a thought-provoking manner. Something that I can chew on for, for, in some cases for years. And for some reason that makes me not <laughs> blind. Now, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, I, I don't believe that. I, I don't... I... I all like I see is all I see is you're wonderful on your on the, on the Facebook, and uh, I don't see anybody criticizing you. I'm talking about people in my own life. So if I recommend a movie, oh. they'll know not to go see it because they'll hate it. <laughs> oh, but the, no, no, but that's that's called taste. Uh, my students used to come up and tell me nobody would watch a movie with me anymore. You've, they've, I've, I've ruined it for them. I've ruined it for them because I'm talking about the symbols and I'm talking about, oh, look at that. They think great photography is just a, is just a shot of the outdoors, that that makes it great photography. And I say, no, look at the shadowing. Look at the, the. So what you're talking about, we pay lip service to education and to an intelligent and populist. People are stupid. Uh, I mean, uh, and they love ignorance. I mean, ignorance is in control right now. It's not. It's not intelligence. It's not facts. I used to say a fool with a fact can beat a genius with a generality. Now he doesn't even need a fact. A fool with nothing can beat a genius with everything, because because people don't respect thought. And they don't think that anybody can think right. outside of what they believe, which is it's absurd. It's just, you've got to believe what I believe. Well, no, no. What's it like? What you mean, prison? No. Armed robbery. It ain't like anything. Shoot, I knew you'd never rob a place, you faker. The most affecting and effective emotional and intellectual experience I've ever had at the movies was Bonnie and Clyde. The ending, the D.D. Allen edited ending, where they, they didn't speak and they were they, they, they were did the ballet of of death when they were shot multiple times. Everybody left the theater. There wasn't a word spoken, and I was. I'm. I've still got a, a feeling that most people have not experienced it in a theater, which it should be experienced. They've seen it on television, maybe cut. Here's a point about Bonnie and Clyde too, and it, this interests me as well because when Netflix released the unreleased, uh, previously unreleased Orson Welles movie, that had been missing in action for decades and decades. Uh, it was it was made in 79, finished in 79, something like that, and no one had seen it. When they released it and I watched it, I said, this is very bold, very daring for that time. The problem is there's been 40 years of cinema since that have kind of caught up to it. Mm. So when 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 you have generations of audiences 
that have grown up on the films inspired by Bonnie and Clyde that have, that have taken that construct and played with it and worked with it. Bonnie and Clyde, will, will it pale in comparison? I don't think so. That's why, uh, that's why I'm, I'm, I, still, I still hold it up. I don't think you can name a picture that is better than Bonnie and Clyde in what it does. I don't think you can make name a picture that is better than the Wild Bunch in what it does. I'm not sure you can name a picture that is better than what it does than MASH. Um, even though there are replicas and copies and, and there's still something, there's still an originality. Creativity doesn't just dis, doesn't just vanish. The fact that a lot of uncreative people are copying you does not make you them you. Right, but I I do enjoy the aspect of filmmaking that it, it it's a conversation with the past. If Scorsese sure. is making a cer- a certain film, he's pulling on references influences he's conversing with them he's saying let me see if i can take this to another place um and and i like recognize recognizing that in film because i think art just as people should evolve oh absolutely and and you you keep giving me putting it up on the the tee for me one of the things that a critic does or tries to do something times is promote films that people haven't seen or won't see. And there's a Scorsese film that I think is one of his best films that has been ignored. It came out in 17, uh, The Silence. Silence um, about that's a, that's the, top, the pre- top five priest and, Scorsese for me. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, it should be. Because, I mean, I, I think it should be. For one that grew up on Scorsese and knows his work really well. And it, it, uh, faith and commitment and the, the challenges and, and, uh, atrocities of, of origin of religion are at war in this movie. Uh, and it obviously is a movie that is, is not just, it, it, I was mentioning how the 1970s was such an era of personal films. Well, you see the silence. Now, a lot of people going to it would not say, oh, the man who made this is feeling something. They wouldn't even see, think that, the, the, oh, the actors are making their, their own dialogue, whatever they're saying. Oh, this is, this is too, I don't like this. They don't realize, and I think it probably is a, up to us critics, to try and build a bridge from into an alien world the, because that world is so crucial and so basic to uh, Scorsese. It, it, it's the movie, it, the movie he was born to make. If out of any movie in his resume, that's that's where he's been heading all this time. But I I believe that it it's the the greatest film I've seen about faith, truly what faith is 
I mean, he and he is grappling with what is faith, uh, and you f- you feel it in that in that movie, um, and, in a way that I haven't seen in any any other film. And you can I, see it. In, well, you, I'll I'll tell you where else you can see it. Uh, this was probably the most important. Most I showed this film to a, a class of freshmen when I <clears throat> I put some pressure and uh, in freshman composition, and I got the most personal reactions I ever got in a in a set of composition, a freshman composition, to this film. Remember back to Last Temptation of Christ. Well, yeah, I I I feel it's more more vivid in silence. Oh, I think it's better in silence. I think silence is better. Yeah, that theme. Yeah, but I love. But but it shows us that for decades, that has still been in his mind and in his soul, and that he goes back to this film to some of what most people, when you think of Scorsese, think of gangster, De Niro, Pesci, the whole thing. And if you say about the left temptation of Christ, they probably don't know it unless they were, li- were at living during the time when it, be- when it was very controversial or the silence that they wouldn't, know- they wouldn't recognize either of those. So, I rewatched Silence okay. again a, a couple uh, a couple of weeks ago, and because uh, I thought to myself, was that was I too uh, generous on my first viewing? So I watched it again. And, it's a uh, painful experience, isn't it? it Don't you find it painful because, to watch it? Because uh, 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 I, I it, it raised so many enticing questions, and its themes are so sort of elusive endlessly fascinating to me. I, I was so absorbed on both viewings of this film and came to appreciate the silence because I think in the end, uh, you know, God, you, you never answered me when I begged for help and guidance. And, and the fact that God says I was there all along in the silence. No, I've got a word for your, for the people who say that you don't understand films. You fuck them. Because, because you have just spoken true personal criticism. Most people don't want criticism. They don't want education. How many people do you do you hear that get out of school and say, "Oh, I don't know. I learned nothing in school." And I wasn't a great student. I only went after what I was interested in. I was I was a buffet student. But uh, and and then you hear on the oh, the, pay these. Uh, scholar athletes, the, the poor kids can't, they're getting a scholarship. A what? When's the last time you ever heard? I mean, it's been years, maybe a decade since I heard, oh, he's getting a scholarship to go to college while he's playing basketball. The scholarship is, it's like, it's like, yeah. it doesn't exist. You're the next, the next uh, movie on your sight and sound list is Birth of a Nation, Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, Citizen Kane doesn't have. Uh, we've talked about that. Then Fellini's Eight and a Half. I would put another. In, in subsequent years, I put La Dolce Vita. That's a film that may have faded in my estimation. I don't know. 
it held up the last time I saw it because I think it's it's really a fascinating film. Then a film that nobody's heard of, of a French film called Forbidden Games, directed by René Clément. And it wouldn't be on my list of even of films I remember, much less uh, the top ten of all time. <laughs> so I would replace it, however, with another French film, Francois Truffaut's Jules et Jim, Jules and Jim, which I think is a wonderful film that that lasts because it is about human relationships done humanly. So often I say in my room. Re- reviews into people that it's a true story but um it must be told truly just because it's a true story does not make it true if it's not told truly and this film is about human relationships told humanly and and, and truly I, jules and jim i love i love jules and jim and over the years, what's I've, not to I've love about come, it? I mean, it is, it is. I've come. I've come to realize that my favorite movies tend to be the ones where the characters are the plot. And most yes. movies, the plot is cemented, and then they just kind of implant characters in there to, to you know, work it. Plot around. is plot is overrated. Plot. Yes, and that's why I but adore the, Altman as much as I, as much as I do. Here's a question for for you. Um, okay, you tell these acquaintances, this is a wonderful film, Jules and Jim. And they go see it and they say it's awful. They're simply wrong. I, I'm in the same boat, believe me. Believe yeah, me. It's, yeah. it's very hard to find anybody that you can have a discussion that you haven't heard the same thing 25 times. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. My next one is uh, two comedies. Now, here's where I am holding on to the past with grubby, broken nails, but hanging on for dear life. Oh, cliche, for not so dear life. Buster Keaton's The General, Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush. They are, they are on my list. I'm, I, I know times have passed, and I know that uh, people might go and say, "What? What was the ingenuity of, of of Keaton? Well, the ingenuity of both both artists." Um, so, um, my two comedies would be the, well, the general. And they're also in a class in a class by themselves. Yeah. Because who else does that? Uh, right. Uh, there, there aren't any examples that you could point to and say, "Oh." They've really continued on that tradition. <laughs> they're, they're singular, singular films and talent. Right, right. Um, now the next three would none of them would would be on my list. La La Ventura, Antonioni's film. I have no idea why I chose that. None. I'm not. I know it was important at the time. I must have been smitten somewhat. But mm. it's uh, it, it, I doubt whether it would speak to me today. But I really shouldn't say that because I'm not. Well, I can say I doubt. And then the battleship Potemkin, which is like Birth of a Nation, 
but now that Russia is our greatest ally, I guess I guess it's, it's going to change with the general public. Uh, the Battleship Potemkin, Eisenstein's classic film, which is a, a great film. And then growing up in in the time when art films and art theaters all had all these foreign directors, whether it be Truffaut or Fellini or, but er, Ingmar Bergman, not Ingrid Bergman, Ingmar Bergman, uh, The mm. Seventh Seal was really striking to me. You talk about how uh, a film really affected you. Um, I remember getting a, a really heated argument about that film. I don't usually get into arguments about films because what, what's the point? Um, but The Seventh Seal, Bergman was such a, such a crucial, important director. I watched Persona. Persona was the one that got me the most. I think that's uh, his, probably his best film, the one that has the most that that is the most important and it has the most lasting power. I would I would now probably place a <coughs> Persona ahead of even of the of the Seventh Seal, even though the Seventh Seal had such an um, impression on me. You think it'll make a good a, a good double feature with uh, Spielberg's West Side Story? We're gonna try it. Okay. <laughs> All right. The best of both possible worlds, huh? <laughs> Man, you were down at this West Side Story idea here. Uh-huh. Well, I'll give it a chance. I'll give it a chance. But uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I ever like. I didn't like the remake of Psycho. I didn't like the remake of Oh my God, The Magnificent Sevens. I mean, remakes right. are are. I think remakes both mostly for the box office. And why well, why remake a classic film unless you're going to remake it classically? And they don't. They they, they can't. I think I think that Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho is n- absolutely not a good movie. Uh, no. In no way an effective movie, except from an academic standpoint. And it should be a warning to anyone else who tries to remake a film because he actually he actually remade truly remade that film shot for shot. Mm-hmm. The timing mm-hmm. was exactly the same, and it's an and I know that he wasn't thinking this is going to work. Uh, he did it as an experiment because. You can do exactly the same thing to the most minute detail, and it's totally different. There's something in the DNA of Hitchcock that made that film what it is. Nobody else can replicate it, even if they replicate it. But you see that in in almost every classic film. I mean, look at look look at Magnificent Seven. How can that be any better? You know, it can't be. The the original is the classic. It's it's the one. Right. It it has creativity. It's bursting with personality. It's 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 a terrific motion picture. Just because you've got bigger guns and more firepower does not mean that you have more or as much or even are in the in the in the same state as of creativity. It, it, it doesn't work that way. And in fact, 
most people that, that here's the other thing that I wonder about Spielberg. Most people who make remake a film are not artists themselves. They are they latch on to a, a project that they think will be successful at the box office. And I I, I just expected more from Spielberg. Maybe he will make maybe this will be a a masterpiece, um, but we'll see. It could be. I have I have no romantic feeling towards the original West Side Story. Oh, neither do so, I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I saw it on Broadway. I I mean, how can you have how can you have a a a total acceptance of a film starring Richard Boehmer? <laughs> he played. <laughs> And he he went on to play Hemingway in Adventures of a Young Man, and he was worse than Hemingway. I mean, he's terrible. Maria, the most beautiful song I ever heard. 